It's, uh, it's great to see you all and to be back with you. And I invite you well, this morning to take uh, your Bibles and turn to uh, Psalm 49. Psalm 49, just as you're turning there, I had a chat with uh, Matt, your pastor, yesterday, and uh, he certainly had a, uh, a wonderful time over in LA at the Shepherds Conference with Lisa and uh, with Sam and Tamara, as you heard this morning. And uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll be uh, breaking his neck in a sense to get back here in this pulpit to preach to you. I'm sure he's full of uh, passion and excitement after being at a conference like that, which I know he is. He was telling me that he's uh, picked up this, I don't know if it was a gift or if he bought it or whatever, he's picked up what they call a preacher's Bible. And apparently it's a really big thing, so um, you'll see it next week. I'm sure he'll introduce you to it, but he's pretty excited about it. I think he thinks it. I, th- I think he thinks it's going to make him a better preacher. So um, <laughs> let me know, okay? Because if uh, if it does, then I'll go and see if I can find one as well, and it might help us out. And so, anyway, I'm sure you'll be looking forward to to seeing him. Um, next Sunday. And by the way, uh, some of you know that uh, we've been building a house and uh, building a granny flat with my mum and dad. And we've just moved in this past week. So it's been a pretty hectic uh, week of moving boxes and everything. And so we're really excited about that. Mum and dad are pretty excited about that as well. Obviously, it's like kind of one house and we're all under the same roof. They have their separate end self-contained and we have ours as well. And so I just want to mention that because there's been a number of your people who have served us and helped us in that process. you have some skilled tradies uh, in this church, um, Andrew Young, uh, Andrew Blocker, I mean Arnold Blocker, um, Mike Lee, who was leading us this morning, helped with the plumbing, and a bunch of others of you have helped us with advice and suggestions and stuff like that. So we want to say thank you to, to you on, on kind of behalf of our family. And, uh, you know, it's good to fellowship like this, and I guess I've seen those guys in this context for many, many years. But it's actually really exciting for me to see how God has gifted them and given them talents as well and to be able to see them put them into practice in their workplaces and the skills that God's given them. So, you know, we can serve the Lord not just on a Sunday, right? But we can serve the Lord and glorify Him through our uh, every day as we go to work or if we're at home or wherever we are. So uh, thanks, guys, for all of that. So come visit us sometime. We're living in J-Town now or Jervistown, so it's just obviously between here and Nate that you're welcome any time to pop in and say hi. Well, Psalm 49, hopefully you've turned to by now. Have you, um, have you ever, ever had one of those days, maybe when you're just feeling a little bit grumpy, perhaps a little bit frustrated, because you're thinking about life, and you're looking around, and you're asking the question, why is it that so many of my worldly, non-Christian friends just seem to be doing so much better in life than I am? Maybe you have your own business and you're looking across town and there's a similar business, similar to your one. Maybe it's your competitor. And they just seem to be far more successful than you are. And you might say to yourself, it's just not fair. Because you know the guy who runs that business and he is not a God-fearing man. In fact, you know that he's actually a corrupt guy and that he often rips off his customers and cheats on his taxes, yet he's making huge profits. And on the other hand, you're trying to do everything that you can above board. You want to operate with integrity. You go the extra mile to help your customers, but you can hardly even break even. And not only that, that guy over there is looking at you, and he sees that you're not doing well, and he's laughing at you. And it just doesn't seem right. And so you're a little bit frustrated about that. Or maybe you might think to yourself, why is it that my unbelieving friend has just secured themselves an incredible job? And they've got an incredible salary. And not only that, they get a company car that goes with it. And I'm still struggling in my job on a minimum wage. Or maybe you might ask the question, why does my neighbor, 
who is an atheist who hates God, why is it that he can drive around in a brand new car and his wife can shop at all the latest fashion shops and we just drive around in second-hand cars and we shop at the op shop? Why is it that the wicked sometimes prosper? Have you ever had any thoughts like that? Well, the psalmist had moments like this in his life. And so as we pick up Psalm 49, the psalmist has been compl- contemplating life. It's almost like he's, he's tipped back in his rocking chair and he's looking at life and he's a little bit frustrated because across the fence in his, farm is, in his, in his neighbor's farm is, is a man who has been more productive than him. And he can't understand why God would let his neighbor, who is a very wicked man, an ungodly man, why would God let this man's life prosper? This man's got the biggest crops in town. He's got more animals than anyone. He's got thousands of sheep, thousands of animals, and he rides the fastest donkey in town. How is it? And not only is he making the big bucks, but he's flaunting it. He likes to put his wealth on parade and in front of everybody. He's just boasting about his profits and his riches. I mean, that's the context of this psalm. That's where we find ourselves today as we open up Psalm 49. And so let's just walk our way through the psalm. And I trust that you'll be encouraged this morning as we look at some of the principles in it. The first thing I want us to notice as we begin to read through it is that the psalmist's persuasive call his call in verses 1 to 4. This is a message that is for everyone. Even though this psalm might have been written over two and a half thousand years ago, this is a message for everybody, whether you're a young person, a teenager, a senior, and everybody in between. This is for us. Look at what it says in verse 1. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world. I mean, obviously, that includes everybody here today. Verse 2, both low and high, rich and poor together. So there's no exceptions here. As we pick up the psalm, this is for all of us, from the richest to the poorest. Verse 3 says, My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. I mean, this is the psalmist in these opening verses grabbing our attention, and he's saying, Listen, everybody. Listen carefully. In verse 3, he, he points out here that, the, that he has wisdom to share. And so Psalm 49, we would say it's called a wisdom psalm. Uh, many of the psalms come in different formats, different styles. There are sad psalms, lament psalms. There are worship psalms, psalms of praise. And I think Matt's preaching the, the one that he preached to you during the summer, Psalm 145. Great is the Lord and most great to, greatly to be praised. There are psalms of judgment But this is a wisdom psalm. The psalmist says here in verse 3, My mouth shall speak wisdom. And so the psalmist is going to plant into our minds this morning a number of wise thoughts because he himself has just been through a painful time, a difficult time in his life, but he's learned some valuable lessons and he wants to pass on those lessons to us. He he says in verse 4, it was a riddle. It was like a problem to to him, but he solved it. And so he's going to pass on to us some, us some pearls of wisdom this morning. So we need to, to listen carefully. And he's going to give us wisdom this morning about wealth and about prosperity and about health and also about death. This is God's view, you could say, of death as well as health and wealth and prosperity. 
And by the way, if you are a follower of Christ because you buy into the health, wealth, prosperity movement, that is the idea that God always expects his people to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. I want to say to you that you'll be in for disappointment as you read the psalm as we go through it. Well, this psalm is written for all of us, and the psalmist is calling us to listen intently to his advice. He's going to pour out his, his wisdom for us, which, to be honest, is really divine wisdom, right? Because this is the word of God. This is God's message to us. It's his divinely inspired word to us. So even though it's wisdom from the psalmist personally, this is ultimately God's wisdom for us. And so we see the psalmist's persuasive call. Secondly, in the psalm, in verses 5 and 6, we see the, the psalmist's personal reflection, the psalmist's personal reflection. Look at verse, verse 5 and 6, which provides the backdrop to this psalm and sets it in its true context. He says in verse 5, Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? As I said at the beginning, the psalmist was, was living amongst neighbors who were very, very wealthy. These were people who were putting their trust and their security in their personal wealth. And these were people that were filled with pride. And he's been asking the question, well, why is it that these wicked people prosper? Why is it that they appear to have no struggles in life? And so as you read through this psalm, you can tell that it's been a, a difficult situation for him to work through in his life. It, it seems like these wealthy, godless people have also been taunting the righteous, including the psalmist, perhaps even mocking him because he was not financially as successful as them. And so he's somewhat intimidated by it and even fearful, he says here in verse 5. It's taken its toll on him. He says that he was fearful in times of trouble. I mean, as you think about the background of this psalm, he's obviously had to think through it in his own life and he's gone through pain and he's gone through the frustration of thinking wrongly about his situation. And as he did that, as he thought wrongly about it, it fostered up this spirit of fear inside of him. And it maybe even caused him to doubt God, doubt that God was in control. But here's the good news. The, the psalmist has counseled himself. He's fixed his faulty mindset. You could say he's realigned his thinking to the truth here. And so the rest of the psalm, from verses 7 onwards, the psalmist is sharing his newfound wisdom with us. And so these are principles that we need to remember when we might be asking the question, why is it that the wicked seem to be prospering? And so the psalmist is going to give us some counsel. He's going to give us some cautions even as we look through the rest of these verses. And so the third point I have here, which really is the rest of the psalm, is the psalmist's pearls of wisdom. The psalmist's pearls of wisdom. And we're going to see seven of these pearls of wisdom this morning in this psalm. We'll just quickly work through them. The first one is this. You cannot buy a longer life on earth. You cannot buy a longer life on earth. Look at verse 7. Truly, no man can ransom another. Or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see the pit. Or never see the grave is the idea there. 
And so the psalmist in these verses is talking about his life and our life on earth. He says eternal life on earth cannot be bought. Money cannot buy you longer life. No one has the money to buy more time on earth for themselves or even for others. No amount of money can save your friends or yourself from death. You cannot buy permanent life insurance in that sense. You know, we live in a world, don't we, where we can continually buy stuff. We can can continually top up things if we run out. You know, if our internet needs more data, we can top it up. If our mobile phone runs out of minutes, we can top them up. We can extend a holiday if we want to extend a holiday. We can increase our shopping budget if we have to. I mean, we can increase things. We can top things up all of the time. But you cannot buy more time on earth. You cannot. It's impossible. You can't even put your body on ice when you die and hope that one day they will be able to revive it because somebody has found some miracle drug that will enable you to live forever. Can't do that. Life on this planet is temporary. The clock is going to stop ticking for all of us. In fact, Psalm 139 tells us that our days are numbered. Even before we were born, our days are numbered because God determines our lifespan. We can't top up our earthly life. You can't buy longer life. You can't buy eternal life on earth. That's the first thing the psalmist points out for us. The second thing he says in verses 10 to 12 is that you cannot bypass death. And a lot of these points are overlapping in in their meaning. But he says you cannot bypass death. Look at verse 10. "For For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Many of you will be familiar with the name Benjamin Franklin. He was one of the founding fathers of the United States. Except death and what? Taxes, right? And he's right. You know, if you kind of live 40 years or work for 40 years, you're going to pay probably over a million dollars worth of taxes. But not only that, he's right and that... All of us must die. It really doesn't matter what your social status is. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. It doesn't matter what your popularity status is. We are all going to die. Steve Lawson says it this way. The grave is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, healthy or unhealthy, we will all die. Spurgeon said it this way. In the congregation of the dead, there is no pecking order. Death is no respecter of persons. It treats all of us the same. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, wise or foolish, famous or infamous. Death will be certain. And what the psalmist is saying is that, is that wealth cannot prevent death. You know, a person can, um, have, you can pay to have the, the greatest doctors in the world, the greatest surgeons in the world, the greatest nutritionists in the world, the greatest health trainers in the world. But in the end, death is certain to everyone. You cannot prolong your life for one split second longer than God has ordained for you. As Spurgeon also says, there is no medicine for immortality. 
And it doesn't matter, according to verse 11 here, that if you were so well known that you might have even had some land or a building or a monument labeled in your honor, it doesn't matter whether you're well known during this life and people recognize you and built a statue for you or put your name on a plaque and put it on a building or whatever, or maybe even you owned the, the title deed for the land or the house that you own. The psalmist says it doesn't matter whether you have any of those things happen, you're still going to die. You still will die. We all die, and then our earthly treasure is going to be passed on to somebody else. And he says here in verse 12, we all will die just like the animals do. We bring nothing into this world, and we can take nothing with us. The psalmist goes on and gives us another pearl of wisdom here. I guess the third one it would be. He says this. He says, the foolish are lacking hope. Look at verse 13. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. It is foolish, the psalmist tells us, to trust in your wealth and to put your hope and confidence in riches. As you read through this psalm, I'm sure it reminds you, as it reminded me, of the conversation that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. Remember that? That young man, he wanted to build bigger barns and then kick back and enjoy life. And Jesus said to him in Luke 12, verse 20, he said, he said, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You know, Jesus reminds us, doesn't he, that it's far more important to attend to our souls than to our sheds or our property or our material things. Jesus also said this in Mark 8, verse 36. He says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and what? Forfeit his soul. There's no profit in doing that. That's foolish to do that. And so Jesus gives us some loud and clear warnings in the New Testament as well. I mean, to, to own the whole world is not nearly as important as saving your soul from hell, Jesus says. Do we understand that? Let me say it again. To own the whole world and everything in the whole world is not nearly as important as saving your soul from hell. And let me remind you that every material thing in this world is going to fade away. It's going to rot. It's going to decay. It's going to fall apart. Everything in this world one day will end up in the rubbish dump. Your house, your car, your boat, your holiday home, your toys, your phone, your shoes, your handbags, your clothes, whatever you own. One day it will all end up in the dump. At the moment, it's evolving into trash. Don't waste your life trying to accumulate more and more stuff. And at the same time, neglect the condition of your soul. If you are a multi, multi millionaire but neglect your soul, the Bible tells you you're a fool. There is absolutely no profit in accumulating treasure on earth and neglecting your soul. If your New Year's resolution this year was to make more money or to get richer, that's the dumbest decision you made this year. 
Because the Bible tells us that our souls are the things that live forever. Our stuff is going to rot. As I said, our material things are going to fade away. They're just temporary. And the Bible reminds us over and over again and in the psalm not to live for the temporary, but to live for the eternal. Because life on this planet is going to end for all of us, but our soul is going to live forever. And that's why Jesus also asks the question, what can a man give in return for his soul? Can he pay a million dollars in advance or can he buy it back? Can he give the whole world for it? No, you can't. You can't give anything. It's not enough. There's nothing a man can give to get his soul back. Once you have rejected Jesus Christ, once you have died in your sin in this life on earth, you're lost forever, the Bible says. There is no turning back. There is no redemption. There is no purgatory where you go and hope that you've got family and friends who can flick you out of it. Once you're gone from this planet, you're gone. If you've rejected Christ, you won't have a second chance. Your soul is worth far more than all of the world's possessions lumped into one pot. And the question we need to really think about this morning as we sit here is what is the condition of my soul? What is the condition of my soul? Is, is your soul, that at the soul, your soul is the real you. It's that part of you that lives forever. It's that immaterial part, the part you can't see. It's the real you, not the outside, but the inside part. Are you taking good care of your soul? You know, sometimes we sing a song, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Who's looking after your soul? Is it in the hands of God? In other words, I'm asking, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Because the warning is loud and clear in the psalm and as well as what Jesus said, don't forfeit, don't lose your soul in hell. Don't deny Jesus Christ is the idea. Don't, as this verse says, don't have foolish confidence in your earthly treasures. Don't try to live this life by your own set of rules is the idea. You need to live by God's set of rules. He created you. He makes the rules. We follow the rules. So you come back to the psalm and it says there that the foolish have no hope. Don't go putting your trust in money or wealth or possessions. That's foolish. You know, verse 14 talks about a shepherd, and it says there, just as a, as a shepherd leads his sheep to an appointed place, whether he's leading them to eat or to rest or whatever, so it says death will lead the unrighteous and the foolish to the grave. Or to Sheol, it talks about in these verses. Sheol is, is the Old Testament word for grave. It's the place where both the righteous and the unrighteous go when they die. Uh, you could just say it's like the cemetery. That's what the idea of the word Sheol is. And so the foolish, rich person has no hope, the psalmist is telling us. However, there's a ray of light in the psalm, and that's what we want to look at next. The psalmist gives us another pearl of wisdom to remember here, and that's in verse 15. And that is that the righteous do have hope. The righteous do have hope. Look at verse 15. God, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. And so this is a great verse. It's good news, really. It's great news for, for the righteous. There is, there is hope here for the psalmist and for those of us who would choose to follow Christ. I mean, the psalmist is well aware that his soul was not going to stay in the grave. It wasn't going to stay in the cemetery. It wasn't going to reside there forever. He understood that his soul was going to go and be with the Lord. 
he understood in some way back then when he wrote this that the, that God was going to redeem his soul, that his eternity wasn't in the grave, but it was with his Savior in glory. And that is the blessed hope, is it not, for all of us who love Christ? That if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, that we have this great hope of eternal life. God promises eternal life to those who trust him. He promises blessing. The scriptures tell us that he's currently building a place in heaven for us right now and that if he's building a place for us, he's going to come and take us to be with him one day. And God doesn't break his promises. So if you want to be wise, as the psalmist is encouraging us in this psalm, be like the psalmist. Trust God. Follow God. Surrender your life to him. And then the psalmist gives us another pearl of wisdom in verse 16 and 17. And he says this. He says, you can, when you die, you can take nothing with you. You take nothing with you. Verse 16 says, do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. So the psalmist is telling us, don't be overawed, don't be upset, don't be afraid, don't, don't be put out when you see the ungodly people getting richer and richer. I mean, as believers, we shouldn't envy the temporary lifestyle of the rich and famous. Alan Ross reminds us, he said, the destiny of the righteous is far better than the fleeting glory of the wicked. Well, Roger Ellsworth said it this way. He said, the righteous on his worst day is far better off than the unrighteous on his best day. I think it was Arnold Blocker, the great Tyler and semi-professional golfer, who said to me, a bad round of golf is better than a good day at work. <laughs> you know what? This is what the, this guy's saying, right? Let me read it again. The righteous on his worst day is far better off than the unrighteous on his best day. There really is no comparison, is there? A life lived for God is a billion times better than any other life. Don't waste your life on insignificant things, the psalmist is telling us. Don't live for all those temporary things. And so verse 17 is a good reminder, as I said earlier, that all of us are going to come into this world empty-handed and we're going to leave it the same way. You'll never see a hearse towing a trailer or followed by a furniture removal truck because you can't take your possessions with you. Thomas Fuller said this, he said, Riches may leave us while we live. We must leave them when we die. You know, we can't take a thing with us, can we? So as believers, we know that we must use our possessions wisely now while we're still living. We need to be wise with our investments. We need to use our resources for the Lord's work. I was, I've read a little book. Some of you may have read it. It's by a guy called Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. It's a great little book. I'd recommend it to you if you want to be challenged about um, how you use your material things and finances. He has this little principle in that book. He, he says it like this. He says, why don't you send it on ahead? And he tells us as believers how we can store up treasure in heaven. 
And so he talks about sending it on ahead, you know, sending our, our treasure onto heaven is the idea. And he says, well, we need to obviously use our material possessions, our money, our property, whatever it might be, to bless other people, to strengthen churches, to help the poor, to help the needy, to reach out to those that need it. Send it on ahead, he says. As we do that, that's building up treasure in heaven. It's, it's, it's enabling us to be the kind of good stewards that, that God wants us to be. Because the reality is, as this verse tells us, you can't take a thing with you. It's not much point dying with $50 million in your bank. That's not being a good steward of God's resources. And then the psalmist goes on. He gives us another pearl of wisdom in verses 18 and 19. Earthly prosperity and human praise has no lasting value. Verse 18 says, For though while he lives, and that's talking about the unrighteous rich guy here, he says, says, while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. It's true, isn't it? I think that in this life, the people who are really, really wealthy usually get the most recognition. They usually get the most praise. They get it usually in the news or all over social media. Some of them make it to the, you know, the Forbes rich list. Those people are often admired. They are exalted by many. The spotlight's always on them. You know, we know the names. They roll off our lips, don't they? The Bill Gateses, the Warren Buffetts, the Mark Zuckerbergs, those guys who have a net worth of billions and billions of dollars. They're, they're elevated because they're portrayed in this world as being successful. They're portrayed as great role models for us to follow. And lots and lots of people are jealous of their success financially. Well, as Christians, we should not ever envy those guys. You know, without Jesus Christ, their billions are actually worth nothing. They're pointless to them. If you die as the richest man on the planet, but without Christ, you've wasted your life, every minute of it. So we need to remind ourselves over and over again, as this psalm does, that accumulating earthly treasure is not the purpose of this life. It is not a worthy goal to live by, to just accumulate more and more stuff. It's a pointless pursuit to just work and work and work because we want to make, 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 make. That's what the psalmist is warning us about. And then he gives us another warning here at the end. In verse 20. He says, Wealth without God is no different than living like an animal. Verse 20 says, Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. You know, it really seems like a little bit of a harsh way to finish a psalm. But it is the reality. And you might ask the question, well, what does he mean? Well, he just means this, I think. He says, he means that animals only live for this life, right? That's all they get. They don't know any different. They, they eat, they drink, they breathe. They really have no hope of a better life. Likewise, he's saying, well, unbelievers, they too, they only live for this life. This life on earth is all that they think about it. And he's saying that's foolish. You know, the motto that they live by is the the YOLO motto, right? You only live once. That's what they say. 
Their only hope is to be successful in this life, and their only hope of being successful in this life is if they make more and more money, stuff. And so the psalmist says, and Jesus says, that is such a foolish way to live. Foolish way to live. Because anyone who is rich in this world and does not understand those spiritual truths about God, about Jesus Christ, about salvation... That person, he says, is really no different than an animal in the sense that they will live, they will die, and they won't be able to take anything with them. So the psalmist has given us some, some pearls of wisdom to contemplate, to, to think about. Really what the psalmist is doing is just reminding us to have the right perspective on life, is he not? We must live... On this planet, with an eye on eternity, we, we need to have an eternal perspective in how we live. Earthly riches are short-lived, they're temporary. They're not going to increase our life on earth. You won't, they won't enable you to escape death. They, they can't be exported into the next life. Therefore, the Bible tells us we need to set our minds on things above. We need to store up, as I mentioned before, treasure in heaven. And we need to use the possessions that God blesses us with, whether it's, 10, whether it's $10 or whether it's $10 billion, we need to use those resources for his glory. And I mentioned earlier, we can do that by blessing other people, by caring for our families, for strength, by strengthening the church, by growing God's kingdom. You know, God is not opposed to money. Money is not wrong. The love of money is wrong. That is the issue from us from a Christian perspective, and we are called to be good stewards of whatever God gives us. We don't own a thing on this planet, really. It's all God's, and he just lets us borrow it, as it were, while we're on this planet. Don't ever think you own anything. You don't own anything. God owns you, and he owns all your stuff, and he expects you to be a good steward of his possessions that you're looking after. That's the, the principle from a Christian perspective. And so as we even look around, we don't need to fret when we see the ungodly prosper in this life. We don't need to worry about that. We don't, know, we don't need to fear like the psalmist did originally. We need to learn from his mistakes, as it were. You know, Spurgeon reminds us too, he says this. He says, sinners, those who are unbelievers, those who aren't following Jesus Christ, he says, they are not as a general rule punished here on earth. Their sentence is reserved until the day of judgment. This is not the time of judgment. Judgment is yet to come. And so he warns us and warns unbelievers that there will be a day of judgment. It's not, it's not on, the planet, on this planet. It's going to be standing before the throne of God one day. And God doesn't evaluate our life based on the size of our bank account or our earthly equity, whatever we might have. Your material wealth is not a gauge, it's not a true gauge of your spiritual maturity. True blessing and true success in life is measured first by the condition of your soul. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? That's the first and most important thing. And secondly, success is measured, if you want to measure it and if we can measure it, by the treasure you have stored up in heaven. And really God's the one who's keeping account of that. So don't be deceived if your unbelieving next-door neighbor is driving a Lamborghini and you're still driving that ratly old Datsun 180B that is not necessarily a reflection of your eternal destiny. 
So we need to ask the question, don't we? What are, what are you living for? What are we living for? What am I living for? Am I living for the temporary stuff? And if you are, the psalmist has said that's foolish. Or am I living for spiritual riches, the eternal things? That's what the psalmist says is a wise thing to do. So we don't want to lose that focus. And as I said, the, the New Testament calls us to set our hearts and our minds on things above and on eternity and on Jesus Christ and, and follow the motto of the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so I hope that this psalm is really an encouragement to us for those of you who are believers. It really is a, a comforting psalm. Don't worry, as I said, as you look around the the area, the community, the country, the world. Don't worry when you see other people who are supposedly doing better in life than you. Chances are most of them aren't. Stay focused on the eternal things. Stay focused on Christ. Build up that treasure in heaven we talked about by being a faithful servant and a faithful steward of the things that God's given us. And maybe this morning as you sit out in this congregation, I don't know all of you, maybe there's somebody sitting here this morning that you don't, you haven't yet made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. And I trust that this, these verses would be just a warning to you that, and a reminder maybe that this is not the only life that you get. Physical death does not draw down the curtain on your life forever. This is really just the beginning. We, the Bible tells us we're all going to live forever. Yes, we will, unless Christ comes back beforehand. Yes, we will all go to the grave. And the Bible says once we go to the grave, or the day we die, we're all going to live on forever. We're going to live on forever in heaven in glory with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever, fellowshipping with all the other saints who have followed him throughout this life. Or if you've rejected Jesus Christ and haven't put your faith and trust in him, the Bible says you're going to live forever in hell, a place of torment and judgment forever and forever and forever. And so this is a, a warning passage for us. Even Jesus would say to those of you this morning that don't yet know him that he's offering you the gift of salvation. He's offering you hope and eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come through the Father but by me. And so if you run to Jesus Christ and choose to follow him and believe that he died on the cross for you and took your place and your punishment, he lived the perfect life, he, he, he died a nasty death, but it was the perfect death. He did it in your place. And if you believe that and are willing to sacrifice your life to following him for the rest of your days, the Bible says you will be a believer. And when you die, you will go to heaven for all eternity with all the other believers who are there. And so Jesus Christ provides hope. He provides the way of escape for those of, for those of you that need that escape. And we all need it. Trust him, believe in him, and follow him. And so Psalm 49 is really a, it's wisdom. It's wisdom about wealth. It's wisdom about prosperity. It's also wisdom about health. And it's also wisdom about death. So let's make sure that we heed the advice and the wisdom that the psalmist has given us in this psalm. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, this morning we want to say thank you again for the precious truths that we find in Scripture. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that it challenges our hearts, 
even though it was written many, many years ago, Lord, it's your word, it's fresh, it's alive, it's relevant, it's powerful, it's life-changing, it's convicting, it's challenging. Lord, I pray that you take your word and work in our hearts. Make us, those of us who already know you, make us more like Christ. Help us to be more faithful in the way that we live and perhaps even in the possessions that you give us and the use of them. And Lord, if there are some here today that don't yet know you, I pray that you would use even a passage like this to challenge them and to draw them to yourself. I pray that you would open their hearts and open their spiritually blind eyes so that they would be able to see the truth and know the truth and put their faith and trust in you. Lord, we would pray that. We pray it for your glory. Lord, help us to be faithful people. Lord, help us even to be great ambassadors for you as we continue our fellowship here this morning and as we go out into our various places this week, whether it's to our homes to serve as a mum or, or a wife or a, in our workplaces, schools, student places, if we're going to an orchard to look at apples, whatever we're doing today or this week, Lord, help us to do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.